Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, and welcome to the program. Tonight, for your quintessential listening poetry pleasure, Margaret R. Sirocco is a writer, activist, and retired educator. Margaret will join me tonight, and her poetry and short stories have appeared in, the, in numerous anthologies and journals of writing the land poet. She helps to raise awareness of the importance of land conservation through her poetry. If there is no wind. It's her first full and poetry collection and was published this fall. Margaret, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. Well, just reading your your bio, wow, you've done a lot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm glad thank you're here. You. I'm glad you're yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's begin this poetic journey. Let's begin this journey. All right? Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> all right, all right, good. What is poetry to you, Margaret? You know, we, we've, we were just chatting a little bit before, um, but when I went to go answer that or think about it, it, re- it reminds me of what is, the, what is art question, which is so unanswerable in so many ways because it's so personal. Um, but I had a wonderful teacher um, who passed away, a poet, uh, Laura Boss. And we used to ask her, you know, Laura, how do we know it's a poem? Because she used to like to write narrative pieces And some of my poetry falls into that category. And she'd say, well, if you're a poet and you write it, it's a poem. If you're a short story writer and you write it, it's a short story. And I just love that because Mm -hmm. um, it gives us all kind of uh, an intention and ownership of our work. Um, But it's certainly when I'm I'm writing and reading poetry, it's what I'm I'm connecting to. Uh, But that's not Mm -hmm. to say that what other people write that I might not be connecting isn't poetry. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's about intention. You know, how do people intend it to be? And um, so that's, that's what I think poetry is for me. So how do you reconcile it if it's not what you do as poetry? Where, where, do, you, where do you land? Are you still as open-minded to it? Or is there some hesitancy to read it? I mean, how do you do that? So if it, it's my own writing, um, and I, and I do this when I'm actually writing poetry. I, I, almost anything that I write, I really don't know where I'm going. I just okay. start a journey and I trust the journey. I, I often work out of like uh, meditative pieces of, of states of things like that. Um, and when I'm writing, the piece starts to ex- tell me what it is. Um, and, and it's when I'm shaping it especially. So I don't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to sit down and write a short story. I do sometimes, or I'm going to write a poem, um, but it will talk to me. I have a, a, like a conversation with it, and um, that's how I know. I, it's a very mm-hmm. funny thing, because and, and, I know there's some poets who will write uh, many, many very long pages. A, a book could be one poem, 
my, that's not yes. usually my style. That would usually lend to more, because I love to tell stories, um, as you'll see tonight. Um, but um, <laughs> it, it's interesting, because I think that the, it starts to speak to me and says, no, the images need to be tighter. It wants to be crisper. It wants to be shorter. And all of a sudden, it will be a poem. And that connection for me is, is um, not necessarily determined beforehand. It's while I'm writing. All right. Right. Margaret R. Serico, as you see, I pronounced her name correctly that time. Um, I think. Thank you. <laughs> Due to my nervousness earlier, I. I know. I know. I know. I know. I I know. I I Important. What makes it important to you? That's a really good. So the short answer is um, when I write a poem, it's important because I end up removing the burden of carrying the thoughts around with me that um, I can't carry it all. It's, it's so much. Um, so that's one reason poetry is important, so I can express it, and then I don't have the burden of carrying it on a daily basis. Um, I also, um, poetry is also important. You know, we la- we're laughing a lot on this show, and I often write yes. poetry that's funny, uh, or it makes people <laughs> smile. And I think that's yes. just important to connect with people, but um, it, was, it was very stark. It was very important interesting to me. Um, sometime it was after 9-11. I live very close to New York City. And mm-hmm. of course, it was just as we as you if you were in DC, you know, it was also a very, very difficult time. We were all all across the country, of course. Yes, so um, much so. um, we had, you know, we knew people in the towers and on the ground and in the air. And I couldn't get in touch with my husband who um, we got we lost contact because uh, he was in the city. Um, and I had two children, four and 12 at the time. They were young. And that we finally all settled down for the night, but it was like a big waiting game. And I couldn't relax at all. And I just piled a bunch of poetry books on my nightstand. And I just started reading them. And I realized that it was, it was really helping me to process, and because we were all in shock and trauma, to come out of that state. And I, it was like a, a revelation, you know, my goodness, it, it's important for my soul. So I, I'm hoping that poetry is important for other people's souls really helped me. So it helps me in trauma, but it helps me in everyday life. Um, yeah, it's just, I think that it's like my church. It's a weird thing, right? It's very spiritual for me to mm-hmm. go to yes. that and to hear. And it didn't, it didn't have to be anything related to what I was experiencing, just getting to read people's words. And then, of course, writing is also incredibly, um, it's so effective for me to be able to put that out, as I said, and I don't have to carry it with me all the time. So that's why I think it's important for me. All right, very nice. You know, when statements stand out to me, I write them down, I take notes, I jot them down. And when Mm -hmm. you said removing the burden of carrying the thoughts around with me, Mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. I've never heard it. Yeah. And maybe it'll end up in a poem. Time. You can use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Feel free. But removing that 
burden of carrying the thoughts around. It's yeah. like baggage carrying yes. those thoughts. Yes, especially in these times. Do you times, right? that anymore? Yes. Well, well sure. I mean, it's like it's. Um, I was. Uh, I got very sick in 2016, and right as I was get, I was ill. I had cancer, um, and I'm mm-hmm. fine now. But um, right. that's exactly when uh, Donald Trump was uh, elected, and yes. there was this huge shift, and nothing felt um, grounding to me at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the way I got through it, that because it was, I was. It, it was years, of course, it goes for years. And he was all the, you know, no matter which side of wherever you land in the political spectrum right now, your callers, yeah. you know, whatever, it was, it mm-hmm. was very tumultuous. And um, it was poetry that mm. helped me process everything, whether I was writing funny things or whatever, I would wake up every morning um, and I would uh, go for a swim, come back and then write for hours hours. That's all I did and, and heal and, you know, have my treatments and whatever. And I did that for a very long time. And then it just, you know, became my process. Um, mm-hmm. But it was then that I realized I could release that burden. I didn't have to carry it anymore. I didn't have to carry yeah. every single story with me. Um, although some of them still linger, they need more writing. Um, and then I share them and I'm hoping that it helps other people as well. If they're in, whatever situation they're in, you know, to help them process. So, yeah, I try to reduce those burdens. But it's very profound. It's a simple statement, but very profound. Very Mm. profound. When you really tease it out, it's extremely profound. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Mm. You've written a book, If There Mm -hmm. Is No Man. I love that title. There is a song uh, called Wild is the Wind from a movie uh-huh. in 1957 with uh, Anna McNanny. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. is. Yes, McNanny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, McNanny. Okay, I got gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, you know I'm yeah, I know who that and is. Anthony Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nina Simone in 1959 made a version. She recorded a version of Wild in the Wind, and I listen to it all the time. So when I first oh. saw the title of your book, it carried me to her, just in terms of the way it's phrased, if there is no wind. Tell me about the title of your book. I want to know. So, yeah. So, you know, when I was assembling my book, uh, there's, a, there's so many different ways that poets assemble books and put books together. Um, and, you know, one way is you can do it all with one theme. And I, I, I don't think like that. But I started to think of it like an album actually, like the entire book, the way you structure an album. I used to review music for years and, and oh, write about walking interviews. Yeah, it was just fun. Um, uh, so I started to think a bit more like structuring an album. And um, there's this, uh, so there are different themes and they start to connect. But there is one poem in the book. It's called If Wind Were Erased from Earth. And I took the title from one of the lines in that poem because many of the poems have to do with nature or the climate change um, and, and our distress or my distress around uh, so many of the issues that are coming up with our earth. Um, so that's where the title came from. Um, and when I, I don't know, when I was writing it, it just, I just had a, a thought from that poem. Well, what happens, you know, we lose pieces. We, we're, 
we're worried about losing things. Like I was traveling in um, Sweden this summer, and we were in one area um, down by uh, in southern Sweden, right across from Copenhagen. And uh, people are worried about losing the insect population. Uh, we spoke to a lot of the the folks that live there. We have a friend that lives there about that. And if we lose insects, what that will do to it's like a domino effect that is so frightening. And I wrote this poem before that. Um, mm-hmm. But I wondered what like what happens if there's no wind. We talk about if there's no water, if there's, you know, all of these things. So that's where the title comes from, is my ruminations wow. on that. Yeah. Extremely. I, I love it. I love it. Well, I'd like to know what inspired the book in general. Tell me more. So um, I, I'm in a, a retired educator. I just retired in June. I was, I'm a math teacher, a middle school math teacher, public school. Oh, right. um, Yeah. So that was really great. That was Crazy energy you got to extend there. Um, and I did that for 27 years, so I'm not a youngster. <laughs> but um, I've been writing the whole time. You know, I've never stopped writing. But to put together a book, oh, my gosh, that took like a whole other level of focus and concentration. I couldn't do and teach full time and write and, you know, do everything else. So um, I knew I wanted to put together a book. Uh, for a, a long time, and I contacted um, Paul Richmond, who is my publisher at Human Error Publishing. Shout out to Paul, um, and asked him if he were interested. And we went forward with this. Um, but you know, the one of the earliest poems I wrote in here, I wrote when I was, I think, 24. So that was a lot of years ago. And then one of the latest ones was just a few weeks before we started to actually assemble it. Um, but I have a lot of poems, so to go through everything and to construct it, that's when I said to you, I, I just started to think about, like, what, how do I want to pull this together as my first volume? Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing is I, um, I never wanted my children to have to go through my computer or my husband and figure out what they should say when I'm gone. I know that sounds yes. kind of, you know, sad. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going no, anywhere not for a long time. But, you know, there's, it's just, it, it is it's so massive. I have so much writing I've done, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of poems and short stories. I'm writing a novel. I've written a couple of plays. I'm just, it just comes out. And it's, it's not fair to them to have to figure out what it is that they should keep and, and let go of. It's, it becomes very difficult. Um, so that was a really big thing. I wanted to start putting out my books. So this is the first, I hope, of many. Um, where I can really start. I actually have another one ready, assembled and set to go. Um, oh, I'm wow. just trying to think about, like, do I have the energy? But it's a bit, it's a bit of a process. It's a fun process, but it's a process. So I did it for a few reasons, but I, I um, retired in June. Uh, Paul and I started working together on this, I think, in March. And by uh, September, the third week in September, it was out. So we, I was really clear on, like, what I wanted to do. Um, I'm not sure if our, my publisher will say the same, but we did pull, pull it together. So it's, uh, it's, it's a total joy, though. Michael, honestly, it's just so joyous to have this book and to share it. Your, your spirit is joyous. Oh, thank you. I feel it through the airways. Now, tell oh, me about so the cover of the book. What was the process for creating the cover? 
Ah, well, the cover is actually a painting that my daughter did, and I oh, wow. wanted her to be uh, involved with it. Um, so um, my husband's a painter. My, my daughter paints and draws. They both do. Um, and I said to her, this is the title. What, what would you, what, would, what do you think? And she started coming up with ideas. And then she, you know, we had several and I chose this one. So it was about kind of like, it, it felt to me like a stillness. It's, it's the water beneath it. And, and I know people can't see it. And there's some greenery and then some kind of, a, um, not like quite blossoms, but things poking up through. Mm-hmm. And it's just very still. Um, you know, and, and, and yet I wanted people to be uh, attracted to pick up the book and look at it. So the colors yeah. are just beautiful. I love the colors. Um, blue is if you do chakra work at all. It's the color of communication. So it was really important for me to get some blue in there to, you know, to engage mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. So, um, so she did a fantastic job. She really yeah, did. Yeah, she's extremely um, talented. Extremely talented. Thank it's you. Stri- it's quite striking. Now, what yes. did you learn about yourself, Margaret, from writing this book? Who are you as a consequence of it? Ah, oh, that's a hard one, Michael. Who am I? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because people um, will ask me about the themes of my work. And just as mm-hmm. I don't quite know where I'm going when I start to write, I just allow it to move. I wasn't even sure I was writing to any themes until I wrote this book. And there were themes that started to emerge as I put it, assembling it. And I would start to think, well, wow, I I write a lot about my family extended and, and, uh, you know, my nuclear family. Um, I write a lot about uh, nature and my, my fear of all of climate change. There's like, there's many there are many things that start to show up. Um, I write a lot about grief, and I mm-hmm. that was very interesting uh, because you, you, when I was trying to balance this collection, for me, it's it's hard. Let me say it a, a different way. When you're when you're writing, because um, there are poets who have done it just brilliantly, um, but it's hard. It would be hard for me to work on a book that was all about grief. It's so hard for me to stay in that one space and not have some hope. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I really started to, to shift things and pepper things, and, and I, I'm constantly looking for hope uh, in everything. You know, I'm, I'm always hopeful, um, mm-hmm. or I try to be. So I think those, that, that's what surprised me is that I really do have very tangible themes that I write, and I, I didn't realize that before. Mm-hmm. Mm. So to... To carry that further, how does a poem begin with you, for you, brother, with an idea, a form, or an image? Yes. <laughs> yes, to all of it. Um, <laughs> that was an easy one. Nice question. No, um, <laughs> no, um, so let's see. Um, well, well, you know, when we were stuck in COVID, and we really couldn't leave the mm-hmm. house. And there, there were all of this, you may not leave. And you, like, you would run around the block and mask and hopefully didn't contact with anybody. And I would sit in my living room and I have a, a painting here, my friend did. And that became a prompt for a poem. 
I just looked at it and thought, well, what if I fell into that painting? It was really, it's a, it's, it's beautiful growth. Uh, my friend Karen Chandler is an artist, and she just she gave us painting, and I could just feel myself in the grove. Um, so that became the poem. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I've got an image. Um, sometimes it's a line that will just come to me. Uh, I swim. I like to walk a lot. I do yoga. Usually not when I'm doing yoga, but when I'm swimming or walking, I'll start to write in my head. It'll just start to come um, and so I can go with almost anything. I love using uh, visual prompts. I'm, I, I'm surrounded by a lot of visual artists. Um, my son also does video work. So we're like, we're constantly, we have, and we, we, they don't live near me at all, but we're constantly talking about art. It's a very uh, prevalent discussion in, in, our, in our household, in our family. So I, I love visual prompts. I've used music as prompts. I've just sat down. And, and if I just wanted to write and I didn't know what to start with, I just kind of just close my eyes and just start writing. Uh, well, of course, I open them at one point. <laughs> I start writing and just see where I go. Um, and let the whatever's sometimes whatever's kind of lingering and bothering me come to the surface. Um, so, yes, image a line, a thought, uh, someone else's poem sometimes can like uh, something mm-hmm. in someone else's poem or story uh, can really just go, well, now, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, what a thought. And it, you just go somewhere else with it and you just follow that route, that road and see where you end up. Now, before you share, and that's the mm-hmm. reason that you're here, to share your oh. wonderful work. Oh. What? <laughs> What piece of advice would you give to your readers about your book? What piece of advice? Um, about my book specifically? Hmm. Yes. Well, let's mm-hmm. see. They picked up your oh, book. Oh, yeah. It. So this is kind of interesting. Um, so um, I have a lot of poet friends. I have a lot of friends that aren't poets. And they, uh, mm-hmm. some of them are telling me they're enjoying it because they really feel that there's an access point for them. Some of them, it's like, oh, I know you, you know, so I can hear you, which is great. Um, but I think that not to worry if something doesn't resonate for you or doesn't make okay. sense, it's okay for things to linger. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's, it's fun to read poems, a poetry book front to back, and sometimes you just want to read one at a time. And I give them permission to do whatever they like. Uh, they can also go back to front. They don't have to read from the very first to the last. Like they can go into the middle uh, and like take a nonlinear approach <laughs> to reading. Mm-hmm. I think that would be kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, just make it yours at that point. Because there's, no, there's no real poetry, right, Michael, without the reader. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, yes. it's, it's the word, it's the poet, it's the reader. So it's like we, we create kind of like a, a, little, a little community. So my poem doesn't really, my poetry doesn't really work until people read it. Then it becomes a complete mm-hmm. circle. Well, tonight we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it. Please share a poem. <laughs> Please share a poem. Sure. So I, I, since we've been talking about the title, um, I thought I would read the, the, um, the line, If There's No Wind, comes from this poem, um, and it's called, it. If Wind Were Erased from Earth. 
Without the wind, water pools, kites are grounded, chimes are silenced, forests do not whistle, dust remains on the road, windmills are motionless, leaves are not shaken from trees, feathers are not lifted on a whim, seeds are not dispersed and sown, flowers have nothing to withstand, Sand prints are not smoothed away. Blizzards no longer obliterate our view. Bats and butterflies miss their flying cue. Rain and snow fall perpendicular to the earth. Washed garments on clotheslines are not refreshed. And if the answer is blowing in the wind, if there is no wind, there is no answer. Thank you. Hmm. What is what is the message that you are? I'm going to say attempting to convey mm-hmm. in that poem. Mm. That we need to be really not, careful okay, with so, the earth. One thing, yeah. one thing, Margaret. When I said attempting, that's not saying that you didn't do it. That's just okay. a freedom of question. <laughs> I don't take any comments to that, Michael. Oh no, 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 no. Sure. Who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, yeah. I, I, I do think if we're not careful, we're, we, are, we are losing so much through climate change right now. We've been experiencing such uh, heat right now. It's in the 70s. It's November, what, 7th? It was in the 70s today in, in New York in the area. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm hoping people, I, I need to say it because it's what I, what a part of what I can do to help bring people's attention to the fact that uh, you don't know if something, how important it is until it's gone. Um, yes. And that's not something I don't know that people even, I mean, I don't know how that comes, where that comes from. If there's no wind, you know, it's just on a quiet, when, it, when it's, a, it's like that eerie feeling you get when it feels like something is so still, it's, it's just kind of scary. And that's that, you know, it can happen. I don't know scientifically it would happen, of course, but that's where my mind goes. And that's what I'm hoping people will think about and act on really try to protect the earth because it's up to all of us. It's not just up to our politicians in this country or that country. It's up to every single one of us on this earth. So that's what I'm hoping I'm doing with that. Let me share another. Oh, sure. Okay, so let me share one that's a little lighter. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to find one that's a little lighter. Okay, good. Um, it's called, because um, I write about, you know, I write about my family a lot, and I write about my relationship uh, to them, but I also write about, um, yeah, I think, um Hmm. Yeah, this one is about my mother, and when my my children read it, they said, oh, my gosh, is this really grandma? So it's called I Am My Mother's Daughter. <laughs> Once senior meant a high school student in their final year. Now, in my sixth decade, people offer me seats on buses and trains. AARP sends me embossed ID cards. I mark them refused return to sender, place them back in the mailbox proudly tell my friends that I am too young for discounts. They smile politely. There are some who happily obtain a handicap hang tag and feel like they've won the lottery. 
delighting in the Mount Olympus of privileges, VIP blue parking spaces at local drugstores and clinics. But I worry what senior really means in our culture, feeble and worthless, financial burden, unemployable, with, a nary, with nary a nod to wisdom and experience. At 87, my mother on her shrinking frame, less than 120 pounds, threw a nurse's assistant out her hospital room for bringing her a metal walker with rubber foot coverings, screamed it was for old people and to get the hell out of her room. I scowl at the train conductor on New Jersey Transit when he insists I get a discount at 62. I tell him I'm not there yet, running my fingers through my gray hair. Meanwhile, I secretly eye the senior discounts, storing information for future use to collect what's due me at the movies, the grocers, the beach, and national parks, and yes, on public transportation. But if I need a cane, I'll use a walking stick I found in the woods on a hike. Throw out that metal walker, too. In fact, don't come near me with that damn thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she did that, too. It really I can hear her screaming down the hospital hallway. It was great. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. Well, my grandmother, when she was first in the nursing home, she was part of a gang, G-A-N-G. They would oh, boy. people walking down the hall. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, oh, you would have liked my oh. mom. Trauma of Our Lives, mm -hmm. uh, Mendocino Bluffs, that's two, right? Mm -hmm. Comfort Me, Comfort Me, mm -hmm. uh, Tempest, and let's see, one more, right? Let's do, yes. uh, uh, oh, A Moment of Silence. Moment of silence. Is that five? Yes. Okay. What's important <laughs> to consider? What's important to consider when you're titling a poem? I guess, what role should a title play? Oh, my gosh. So you must live in my house because... <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, uh, my husband and I, we, I'll often, I'll write something and I'll think, I, I, this isn't the right title. I can't, uh, titles are the hardest thing for me. Um, I really right. stress out about them. And I, I don't like not titling because I can't tell you what it's like to look at a series of poems that you want to work on and there are no titles and you can't even figure out what they are. So that doesn't work mm -hmm. for me either. Um, but I, I have to live with it a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I get a lot of feedback. Like I'll ask my, my family, my poet friends, what do you think about this title? Um, so I work a lot on it. That does not come okay. easily to me. And I think it's, um, you, you don't want, so with a poem, it's different than a story, right? Yes. Although I guess it could be similar. Because you don't want to give away 
what the entire poem is about. You want to somehow situate it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you give too much, it's, you, you, you don't take people on the journey. It's like done before you started. Um, mm-hmm. But you also want to kind of get them focused in. So a lot of people will say, I've had a lot of poet mentors who say, just use the first line. I don't usually do that. And I could just because it repeats and I don't like the rhythm of that. Um, but okay. occasionally I've done it. So, yeah, it's a tough one. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> if, if you have any good thoughts about it, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I will. All right. Thank you. Uh, uh, let's go back in your past. All right. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm ready. What was an early experience? Well, you learn that poetic language had power. Oh, okay. So um, there's a poem by Mary Oliver called Summer Day. Do you know that poem? No, I don't know. <gasps> I'm going to have to read it with in you? a minute. I yeah. do, I do, because I, I love it. Um, and no, I don't memorize anything. So for your readers who think that I've memorized it, I just want to flip them at you. Okay. I'm so bad We don't lie on this program. We do not kill us. We do not memorize, right? Um, so I was at some workshops with the Dodge Poetry Foundation. They used to do this fantastic thing called Clearing the Spring, Tending the Fountain. And they brought teachers together and brought poets in to work with them. Um, we, you know, did several weeks with one poet, and in the beginning, we were also writing and reading poetry. They were fantastic. So one person brought in this poem, and when I got to the last line, uh, I, I, I cried. I couldn't believe, I don't know what it did in that moment, but it stuck with me. And even with raising my children, I would read it to them so often that they know it so. I would repeat that one line and they would know it. It's like it became a really amazing piece. Um, and it was, it was uh, I guess I was in my early 30s at the time. So mm-hmm. it was amazing to me how it would stick with me. And then I started to see that there were more and more. The more I read, the more lines would just, they would just, become a part of my fabric of my being um, and they just kind of sit with me and I'd be looking at something and, and a line would just pop up. Um, so yeah, the, the power of it is just incredible. Um, could, could I read it for you, Michael? Would oh, that yes, be okay of course. Of course. Yes. I'm sure many of your listeners know it. It's um, The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up, and, and who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated something. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the field, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Wow. 
and that's that line. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it was really effective. Um, sorry, there was a couple of words that I missed there on the way. Um, but it's that last, when she starts out with, um, I don't know how to pay attention. I know how to fall down, but I, you know, I don't, um, what should I have done? I, it's just, it's incredible. And mm-hmm. if you, if her poetry was so amazing. And when people would say to her, how do you come up? How do you know what to write about? She said, I would open the door and walk outside. And there it was right in front of her. She was, a, she was just an amazing poet. I didn't, I've never met her. I've never heard her read. She was very private. But, boy, that mind just is with me my whole life from, from that moment, from that first moment. She yeah. was an influence. Who were some other yes. influences? Who were some other writing influences? So, um, you know, I'm scared. So. <laughs> There's like a there's um hmm. so there's a, a movie I think it's called Up it's a children's movie and in the movie yes. you know there's know like a character yes. the dog yeah yeah and the dog goes squirrel you know like when it gets this it it doesn't stay focused it's like woof, 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 here there and there I I am I am so in love with poet poetry and, and the world of that I just I have influences all around and and then I meet people and it's like oh my goodness so there's of course, there's people like Marie Howe and Lucille Clifton and Billy Collins, but there's Pablo Neruda and his amazing, amazing love poems and Rumi and Mary Oliver. But then there's Jericho Brown and Ocean Wong. Um, I heard Yusef Komenyaka speak the other day. And I, you know, to hear him was just amazing. He's been writing for many years. And then there's mm-hmm. friends of mine that are writing, and I'm as affected by their work and influenced. So I just... I don't know. Like it's everybody and, you know, Joy Harjo and I don't know. There's mm-hmm. just, you know, there are writers I'm really starting to, I'm just starting to know, like see, um, see Marie Furman. There's like all people around me. And, and anytime I read, I think, oh my goodness, that really settles my soul. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a hard question, really. I don't think I would have uh, one person. Um, there's Maria Gillen, who is amazing. She writes amazing narrative poetry that I just love to eat up. Uh, yeah, so it's it's just a lot of people. Yeah. We're going to take a brief break, but I'd like you to ponder the following question that you can answer when we return. Okay. Okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <It was> ready. <laughs> is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Okay. back. I am here with the amazing Margaret <laughs> Osterico. 
I asked you a question prior to that brief, brief break. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? How many of you? Uh, you know, it's funny. When you said, I keep looking at building a wall, that phrase, and it means different things all of a sudden to me. So my very first was, was neither. Um, but mm-hmm. then I started to think, well, letting your guard down, I guess that means more of a vulnerable response. So in that, yes, I think that it is in, it's not so much letting your guard down, but just like opening up to the experience of mm-hmm. um, allowing feelings to come in and through and to expose yourself. That's what we mm-hmm. do as poets. No matter what you write about, you're exposing, I think, your heart and soul. Um, but it's so funny that building a wall, what I, I hear very negative things with that. And I think it's just because of, of the times we come out of, uh, the separations. Um, mm-hmm. um, but then I thought, well, is, is there another thing to do? Is there some kind of positive spin on building a wall that you can climb mm-hmm. together? But I, I'm not sure. So I think that building a wall is just so negative for me that I wouldn't think of it at all. Um, but I do think there's a, yeah, vulnerable response. Um, as a poet, you, it, it's very hard not to open up and write from that place. I don't know. I, I, I don't know else how, how else to do it, honestly. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I, I've asked that question numerous times. And okay. no one, to this point, has ever offered a positive reframe on building a wall. <laughs> yeah, and I liked it. It's I like that. That I, I don't know something about it just to change it. I guess we can talk further after the show about it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to take a long night. Oh my Please god! Be careful. <laughs> Please be careful. Oh, you want me to share a poem? Okay, I'm still on the yeah, building the wall. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so I guess maybe this one would make sense in terms of talking about what it feels like sometimes um, mm-hmm. to be in this world. So that would be that vulnerable place. It's called Unleash the Trauma of Our Lives. As for the heart, it is weighed down with concern and carries love so deep that it hurts and begs to be at peace but that deepness of feeling gives the spirit and body purpose beyond the daily grind of life and bills to be paid and markers to be met. Instead, the heart directs the spirit and body to answer the age-old question, what is love? And beats its response rhythmically, if you, if I can only listen if I can only listen and move through this world by the tug of my heart and not the worry that life places before us. Thank you. Does it hurt you, Margaret, to write poetry? Sometimes, yeah. Tell me more. No, it it does. Sometimes it's really painful. You know, um, often it's very hard to write after experiencing any kind of traumatic trauma. So mm-hmm. like when my, my mother died, I knew it would be a while. I couldn't write 
for about I could write, but I couldn't write about her. It was just yes. too much. It was. It takes. Mm-hmm. A, it takes a while. Um, mm-hmm. So you can cry through it. You know, you can feel the pain yes. through it, and then somewhere along the line, it becomes a poem on its own merit, and you can you can see it slightly differently, and it might not be as painful. But some of them, some of them are really hard. It's, they're hard to read. Um, you know, some of them you never release into the world. They just can't be released. It's just, it's well, just too hard. They're too painful. Yeah. But that brings up a question. Has a poem that you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, humbled. Um, humbled. I'm not, gosh, I'm not so sure about, hmm. I'm not so sure about one that may have humbled me. I have to think about that. But I've definitely written things where I've thought, oh, my God, where did this come from? It's so mm-hmm. scary that this was inside. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a really bizarre dream and, and it, was, it, was just, yes. you, it just completely shifts you and you wake up and you're not quite sure if you're in your dream mm-hmm. space or your awake space. And that feeling just locks inside of you. That's what I've felt sometimes. Because if I'm following my muse and I just mm-hmm. go ahead and write, sometimes there's things that come out that I did, I, I had no idea was going to end up on the paper. And sometimes it's just scary. Yeah. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Tell me about a poem you were proud of writing, but afraid to share for the fear of misinterpretation. Hmm. Because you write about yeah, I, as an activist, you do. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think I'm very conscious of that, actually. And I think about mm-hmm. it. And I, I actually do, um, and I know a lot of poets do this, but I read most of my work out loud before it, yes. you know, as I'm working on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so remind me of the question again, Michael. I just went somewhere in my head. Yes. Bring me back. Tell me about a poem you were proud of right. writing but afraid to share for fear of misinterpretation. Right. So if I if I feel and I've I've felt this way before, um, I can't tell you a specific one because it wouldn't be in the book. It, okay. That's that's already out into the world. Um, mm-hmm. But I have changed. Um, Sometimes I end up changing the gender of this, the person that's speaking. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I remove the actual, and this sounds kind of weird, but I remove the actual piece that makes it the activist in me um, mm-hmm. to make it almost so that more people can accept it into their heart. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's still out there, but I have to switch it up because uh, it, it's just, it's so intense that, you know, I, it feels like people put up a stop sign. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so they're, they're misinterpreted is a big thing. And I'm, so I'm very mm-hmm. conscious of it, and I'm constantly working with it. Um, All right. Because right, especially when it, you know, and I, I do go into political spaces. Um, I have to because mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. who I am. I've always been mm-hmm. that way. Um, yeah. But, it, and sometimes they're just not ready yet. Like I, uh, Well, let me ask, let me yeah. ask this question. In that regard, if you sanitize is what comes to mind, because I've done that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
for both of us, are we not being our authentic selves? What do you think about that? I've never asked this question. Oh, that's a good question, though. Um, yeah, I know. I know that you're an activist as well. I've seen that about yes. you. Yes. As little as we know about each other, we know that, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I, I don't think I'm sanitizing it. I would rather not release it than sanitize okay. it. Yes. Um, but yes. like, um, you know, like I write about uh, this Dobbs decision, for instance. Um, I've written mm-hmm. about, um, and some of that is is real intense. Um, you know, I write about feminist issues. I write about all kinds of things. Um, hmm. But I don't think I'm clean. I don't think I'm making it easy for palatable for people. I think I'm just trying to present okay. it and get it out there and get people to to see if if they if they could entertain something else, if they could see okay. it in another place in their life. You know, it's like when you're doing protests in the street. I've been protesting in the street all of my life, and even when I thought, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I'm never going to do that again, here I am again, of course, for many years. Mm-hmm. But yes. there's something about um, sometimes just shouting on the street does something for some people, and some people just ignore it. It's like a car alarm. just yes. keeps going off, yes. going off. So I'm trying to find different mm-hmm. ways to do that. So the whole point about, like, if there is no, the, um, the poem, if when we're erased from the earth, it's not saying, hey, excuse me, but like if you don't pay attention, we're not going to have an earth anymore, which is what goes on in my head. Instead, mm-hmm. I write mm-hmm. that and think, will that make any sense to people? Will they think about it? And I'm hoping they'll think about it and have a conversation with me. That would be great. We could talk a about couple it. Of things. Tonight, for the first time, I'm asking, in my mind, different kinds of things, and I've yet to come up with the words or phrases or terminology, how to express it. So you'll have to work with me in that regard. Um, okay. I don't know why. I, I, you're my guinea pig, and uh, thank you. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little nervous. You've done a great yeah. job. <laughs> You've done a great job, a great job, a great job. Uh, <laughs> Margaret or Serico, and we've just talked about it. So much is happening in this world. The mm-hmm. good the bad, the ugly, ugly. as well Mm -hmm. as the indifferent. Based on what you shared about being an activist and other ways of being, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? The role of a poet in modern-day society. I think, you know, if you... uh, I think it was Pablo Neruda who wrote very different kinds of poems before there was such turmoil in his country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it changed. And I, I just feel like poets have to continue writing. Um, I've gone to so many readings, not, you know, not only my own work, but of course other people's readings and just mm-hmm. been so moved and thought about things I never would have encountered anywhere else had they mm-hmm. not brought it up. In that, in that forum for me. So I think mm-hmm. that the modern day poets have to keep at it. You know, I have a, another friend. His name is Jim Gwynn, and he always says, poet on. Yes, we must continue. We have to continue. We do it because I, I, I don't know how else, I don't know how not to do it, but I, I can't even process our world anymore without this kind of work that yeah, I'm doing. And the people I'm connected with. I have this amazing 
poet community that keeps growing. It's just so amazing. There's so many people out there. And, and spiritually, you feel like we can all just connect and help, you know, change things. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess that's, you know, I'm, I'm a hopeful person. I try to be an optimist, Michael. So that's my hope is that we actually do change things. I mean, look at the young woman who spoke at uh, Amanda Gorman at um, mm-hmm. President Biden's inaugural address. She wrote, she wrote a beautiful piece that connected people in that moment. It was really important. I don't know that it could have been said somehow else at that moment yeah. from that young woman, you know, as you know, so that's, that's what I think. I think we have to keep writing. We have to keep, we have to keep doing it. We have to poet on. <laughs> so when you write about the environment, the mm. importance of, of uh, saving it, uh, keeping it going, sustaining yeah. it, maintaining it, how is that received? Well, it's received well. But, you know, you never know if most of the people that are coming are very like-minded. Like, you don't know, right? Yes. Like, who, what are the demographics? Mm-hmm. I used to be a math teacher, so I'm always fascinated with okay. demographics. But, you know, mm-hmm. what are um, – yeah, people are usually receiving it very well. Um, yeah, I know. I've, there was – I would have to look for them on my computer, but there were uh, poems mm-hmm. I, I wrote for Springfield Woods that were just – they were just really amazing pieces. Um, and there was one that I wrote, I don't know that I could find it right now in, in a moment, but there was one I wrote mm-hmm. about these honey locust trees um, that are amazing only because they have these, like, uh, these things that come out of them. They're like these spikes. They're really long and intense, and apparently when they're on the streets, they breed them to remove the spikes, but the spikes are there to protect the trees. But then years before, I wrote about a very famous honey locust in um, uh, what is that, in Gettysburg, uh, mm-hmm. that Lincoln uh, had a photograph taken beneath that tree, and it's living way beyond its, uh, in, its lifetime. And there's like mm-hmm. this, this, this history. I should be able to find that one for you. Um, I, I could, it. I would. If I could take a second, yes, please. I could take a, if I could take a second, <laughs> it would yes, be great. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Lincoln. Maybe I'll look up Lincoln and it'll show up. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, well, it might be in there. Hmm, might be in there. So, we'll take yeah. Take a little musical so break. Take a little musical oh, break, and you look forward, and, and we'll I'll come look back. For it. All right, then. Okay, perfect. <laughs> you make me so happy. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay. <laughs> We are back. Margaret, I are you found there? it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I am. 
collection um and the other poem i was talking about that i wrote for uh writing the land that took place in for springfield woods in baltimore which is a beautiful piece of land in the middle of baltimore um that had a honey Mm -hmm. locust and i wrote a poem for that but it was so interesting to me that i had written one earlier about that tree as well it's called a collage of misery civil war buffs and tourists drive the open and preserved battlefield wandering this national park by car, bus, and on foot, once a Pennsylvania cornfield where soldiers fought and died, their blood saturating the soil. Confederates march from the shores of the Susquehanna River across sacred lands of massacred tribes of the Potomac, Chesapeake, and Delaware, converging here and in Gettysburg. On Cemetery Hill, overlooking Union soldiers' graves, a honey locust looms, the witness tree, now 179 years old, whose lifespan should be only 100, sits in a grove that was cleared quickly to bury the dead. She still stands watch. Like an eternal flame providing a backdrop for Abraham Lincoln during his Gettysburg Address, and comfort for all who come to mourn. The land is tired. The ghosts skim the earth as the living share their stories. There's a monument erected to pregnant Elizabeth and other women in Evergreen Cemetery. Six months into childbearing, she she buried 100 soldiers for it had to be done. The newspaper reporter searching for his eldest son finds his body in an abandoned military hospital where surgeons fled, leaving his son and others to die alone. And what of the two lone black soldiers, Henry Wood reinterned from Alms House Cemetery 21 years after the war, and Charles Parker given his resting place 73 years later, both good enough to fight not good enough to rest beside whites in segregated cemeteries. These grounds, hallowed and hollowed, are a collage of misery. The dead speak to the living in a singular voice from little-known and famous stories, from the blood-soaked earth, through erected monuments, through a legacy of native names, pains of tragedy, suffering, Fear, tears, and a tree spared unknowingly, keeping watch on their souls. Thank you. Wow. I want to take a second to allow that poem to just kind of mm. sit there. I can ponder it a second. Just a second. So powerful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So it was a surprise. This was written a few years back, and I was in Springfield. Mm-hmm. I guess it was 2021. 20, and when I saw that honey locust there, I thought, my gosh, there is, there's something about these trees. You know, uh, they're just mm-hmm. magnificent. Um, but they call it, they actually call it the witness tree in Gettysburg. That's what they call oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, 
you know, you just mm-hmm. see that one piece, and, and we were traveling there, and I, mm-hmm. and I, many years before that, and I'd seen that mm-hmm. scene, it just stuck with me, so, yeah. Wow. Thanks you for know, letting me look it up. Oh, yes, I'm good. I, I can say it's a perfect point. You know, editing mm-hmm. is a part of this process in terms of writing a book, in terms of journals, you name it. Mm-hmm. Some poets claim that a poem mm-hmm. is like a living creature. Once it's out there, it's not what you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form, what is your take on the editing process? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, we, you know, <laughs> we have this uh, saying that it's not done. You just publish it and you say it's done. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I could edit, I'm looking at the poems I was reading tonight, um, and there are things I would change again and again mm-hmm. and again. I, it's, it's always, for me, it's always in process. I really, mm-hmm. rarely written a poem where I don't think, oh, that comma, that period, that word, ooh, am I emphasis? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, and, I, and I do believe, um, I always tell this story because it just made me laugh. Um, I was at a reading that Joy Harjo was doing before she was a poet laureate for the country. She was a, she's an amazing poet as well. And mm-hmm. she said, do you all have, and I forget the name of the book, it's the one about uh, horses. She says, do you all have a copy of that? And she says, you know, we're all fans. So of course, we all take out our copies. She goes, well, I'm going to read a poem from here. This is the poem I'm going to read, but take out your pen because I've changed it and I want everybody to change it in their book. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she just gave me permission to change it anytime I want. So, wow. yeah, I think, I, I think you have to – hmm, because it's, it's a fluid thing, you know. I, I yes. think it's the same with painters they, and, you know, the artists in my, in my circle that I, that I love and adore, they, they never quite feel like they're finished. They just stop. And you got to be careful, of course, because you can muddy up the works as well, right? You can just go too far, which is why I save every single draft of what I do. And sometimes I go back to the original one. And that's, that's a know, kicker, right? We've <laughs> <laughs> reached the part of the program, Margaret R. Sarico, that I love. Okay. okay. I call it a scaled-down version of a, of a poetry concert. And okay. at this stage, I'd like you to share four poems okay. back to back, no interruptions for me, and this stage is yours. Four poems. Mm-hmm. I'll start Three, with whatever, one. Which, whichever one you okay, like. Okay, no problem. Gotcha. <laughs> I get stuck on numbers. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called uh, Mendocino Bluffs, and it's in California where we were traveling. Um, so this one, I just, this one is one of my favorites, Mendocino Bluffs. The wind presses and pushes against the earth on the Mendocino Bluffs in late December. Persistent, insistent, pay attention. Please stay back from the edge, assign cautions, as the fierce Pacific Ocean waves crash into boulders. The curious climb down long stairways. Small barefoot children play by the water while a young woman in an unremarkable bikini wades in and out of the frigid sea, 
first up to her knees, then her waist, called back by another, ventures again, up to her breasts, dives in, while those above and below wear wintry coats, hats, woolen ponchos, sweaters, stand back to back for warmth and marvel at her tenacity as the wind cuts through. I walk away and wander the trails alone along this rugged coastline, discovering unspoiled hidden grottos. Many walk the stunning path covered in succulent ground cover of yellow and green sprays that breathe in sea air covered in salt, windswept and tough like the swimmer that teases us as we gawk at her again, back in the drink, swimming further, jumping over waves astonishingly, she, the rocky soil, and low-growing plants adapt to the climate. Yet I still stand back, retreat, frightened of the danger that presents itself on this bluff, on this day. If I lived here, would I confront my fear? Would I jump in the water and not care how cold or treacherous it is? Would I venture to the precipice, allow the wind to pick me off my feet and let me float, filling my lungs with sea air shrouded in salt spray? Uh, The next one I think I'd like to read. There are two together. Yeah, this one's called um, Tempest. (sighs) And I don't think it requires a lot of introduction on this one. It'll make sense. A torrential rain collects on the flat roof across from where I sit safe and dry in a corridor near a large picture window. Someone tells me there is a slight pitch to the roof channeling water. I wait for the liquid to spill over the edge like an overfilled pot in the sink. The unsettling sound of thunder echoes in the hallway. The flash of lightning irritates my eyes. As the downpour continues, my thoughts move from storm to patient, trapped and dry in the waiting, always in the waiting. I cannot touch the unease that ripens my insides. Strange how time continues slowly in the hospital, and then the day is gone. I wonder how long it will be before the roof refuses to hold the rain, forcing the water to comply with the laws of physics, and despite the supposed human control of leaders and gutters, floods the grounds. Um, And this is, the next one is followed exactly in the book, and it's really a companion piece to that. Um, And it's called, On Hearing of My Mother's Death. My bones liquefy as I slump to the floor, then explode in a geyser of sorrow. What was once a dry bed has become a gushing river I lay in with no raft to navigate. I am drowning. The phone still in hand, ringer off, hall empty. I expel grief twice, once for her, and then once for me. Mm. And um, 
Yeah. And I think that of this like little quartet that we're doing. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I think. Uh, yeah. So at one point I thought I, I was looking at land trust. I was traveling in Washington State, where my daughter and her partner live, and mm-hmm. um, we went. We were visiting actually land trusts. I was just well, you know asked them where they were, and so we went to one. It's called Quilcine Bay. It's um, in the Olympic Peninsula. It's a beautiful country called down and I swear there's a road that is this name so talk about a title this was the title Michael just came <laughs> it's called down the end of linger longer road seagulls screech over a stale potato chip tugged between orange beaks stray straws and old food wrappers litter the beach neglected by indifferent sunbathers Abandoned oyster shells lay twisted into patterns like pearl jewelry guiding you closer to the coastline. Jellies drift, their umbrellas open, tentacles stretching, pursuing prey. Miniature crabs crawl, nip waders' toes, but steer clear of feet and burrow in the sand. Live oysters fuse and form rock-like reefs piling beneath and above the crystalline water. The water presses the edges between firm and fluid here, a jetty separating Quilcine Bay into this and that. Thank you. <laughs> I think that was four. This, <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Margaret, what are yes. you trying to communicate with your poetry? Um, well, I think every poem is really different. Right. I think that um, sometimes it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to honor someone's existence. You know. Um, yes. Sometimes I I I feel like I write for people that can't write for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And and to bring attention and focus to issues that I think are important. Um, that are important for my life, for me, in this life. Um, yeah, I think so. I think that's okay. what I do. Hmm. Do, you, do you think you were meant to be a poet? Oh, yes. So it's funny, you know, sure, I, um, I kind of traveled around the, the arts. I, um, when I was very, I, I think I was just starting to write, and I started to write poetry very young, but, you know, of course, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was writing it, um, mm-hmm. and I would go in and out of that. Like, I wanted to do that, but I wasn't sure if that was it. Um, so then I, I ended up, you know, playing the piano and becoming a singer because it was something about expression, right? And that felt really good, but it didn't didn't quite make it. So then I'd go back a little bit to poetry, right? <laughs> and then I went mm-hmm. to school, and I, became, I went to you know, study the theater, so I was an actress mm-hmm. for many years. Wow. Um, and that wasn't quite it either. You know, there was something about, and I, I have so much respect in, for everybody, for musicians and, you know, whatever form it is. It was just about my personal expression of what I was trying to do. And I think um, as, I, as much as I love to work with other poets, I think there was a voice I needed that I needed to say, that I needed to do by myself, even though I've actually collaborated on poems with people, um, which is mm-hmm. a really cool thing. You like write them together, which I really enjoy doing. Um, but this was, I, I needed to find a way to say it. And it was kind of like I had to 
do it on my own because I had to stand up and do it on my own. So mm. I, I think um, I was really meant to be in this. And I don't only write poetry, but I certainly have a very particular focus in my writing. Um, even a lot of mm-hmm. my prose has a poetic feel to it a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think that this is where I landed. And of course, I tried to draw. That was a disaster. <laughs> it's really fun, <laughs> but I'm not good at it at all. <laughs> um, well, well, I actually like to score, you know? <laughs> <laughs> let me ask this question. What is the, Go and I'm going to expand it. Instead of just saying poet, I'm going to say writer. What okay. surprises you most about being a writer? What surprises me the most? then I actually always have things to write about. Mm. I, I, I've actually given a couple of workshops on, on breaking writer's blocks for people, and I taught oh, wow. writing to um, middle school students. Like uh, For seven years, I, I was working with the whole building, so that was about 600 kids. Uh, we had a mm-hmm. program in our schools, and I, was, uh, I, I don't believe that there's any such thing as real writer's block. I, I, and mm-hmm. so, I don't, so I help people through that because I think there's many ways you can do it, but I, I always have something to write about. I don't ever think there's nothing. It's a weird thing. So that always surprises me. Like, wow, you know, where did it come from or whatever, or that's burning, I got to write it down, whatever it is, or it, it just shows up. And it can show mm-hmm. up every day. I write every day. Wow. Does <laughs> knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world, validate your being a poet, writer, or are you content knowing it out of your system? What was the last part of it? Or Are you content knowing that they're out of your system? Oh, they're never out of my system. Mm. They're kind of like children, you know? Like, uh, I'm a big believer in, in helping, you know, guide them and then letting mm-hmm. them be who they need to be for themselves, but there's always a very deep connection, right? For, for me, mm-hmm. there is and. Um, with my mm-hmm. kids, I kind of feel the same way. Um, validation, it's a weird thing, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you don't know. Like you, if you're asking your family and they're saying it's great, you're like, yeah, but we're family. <laughs> well, are you really being honest, <laughs> right? Like you never know, right? And you try and you're like, mm. And we all go through that, you know? You know, we all of us go through that. Um, so when other people say, hey, that's good, you're like, okay, I, it must be good. <laughs> so it's almost, almost like, it's almost like a reflection. You really don't know. But the book has mm-hmm. been surprising because it's, All right. you know, it, it was right. scary, you know, really scary. <laughs> a couple of weeks before I thought, what was I thinking, you know? And, it's, and then, you know, you just have to like, you just got to let it go because, uh, as one of my friends says, you, you got to try everything at least once in, in, you know, like in our creative spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, don't do it again. And if it does, look what you found. And it's, you might as well just take the risk because it's just, it's, it's your life. Like, just do it. So that's why I ended up, <laughs> you know, completing this because then I was really scared. <laughs> but, you know, it turned yes. out, it's turning out to be fabulous. It really is. And it's, yes, it's just, yes. Like I said I, to you in the beginning, joyful. Mm-hmm. It's just joyful. Well, we're... <laughs> Unfortunately, almost at the end of our poetic journey together. Aww. But I'd like <laughs> you to favor us one more time with a poem. This is your showstopper. My All showstopper. Right. Well, if you had said that before. <laughs> 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 I don't know what I'm trying to 
Okay. And then I had to to give you five stars. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, it's four and a half a long time. Four and a half stars. This is actually so funny. Okay, so this is this is the poem actually that ends the book, and it was um, written as like I've done some playing around with meditation and writing. So I did a meditation and, and came out of the meditation and wrote this. It's called um, Invocation. My bulky blue heart hangs in my chest. I shudder, then shutter the windows, burrow beneath the knitted afghan. My anguish bounded for now by these living room walls. Set me free. Let the birds carry my body above the salted sea. Invite me to soar, then dive like an osprey, looking for dinner, cutting the water, swimming in in warmth, bathing my after image away. Thank you. Was that a showstopper? Yes, yes, it was. Okay, okay. Where can listeners find your work? Where can they find the book? Well, it's uh, you can actually get it online at like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those you know places. Uh, But you can also go. I have a Linktree address, and I it's. Linktree, Margaret Sarico, or you can, uh, that has all of my information, my website, whatever. Um, and you could also go to my website, which is margaretsarico.wordpress.com, if that's the easiest one for you to remember. Um, but yeah, it's all, I've got all those social media things happening, so they can find it anywhere at this point, through, through me or through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Seems to be all over the place now, like wherever I look. Yes. It's really exciting. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Where do you, you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Well, I'm, I do have another book I um, really have compiled. I just haven't, you know, I have to go through it again. You know how I am with editing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And then I have a, a novel I'm working on. A friend of mine and I have been uh, working quite a lot together, and I would like to finish that it's in well into its draft forms uh several mm-hmm. drafts and um yes yeah, so i've got a couple of books that i think i want to put a short story collection together i have a few short stories i've written and published and i really like that form as well but i think the next thing i want to do is a second poetry book and then as soon as i do that i know i'm going to want to put together a third one because um they're there you know it's just i have to just now create another album you know <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> <laughs> You are so special. Oh, thank you, Michael. Sweet of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think I'd like you to come back when you complete oh, wow. your next work. Okay. And actually, I'd like you to come back before you complete your next work and share some of your short stories. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And what That'll I'll do, fun. I'll invite some other people as well to share short stories because I'd like to kind of branch oh, yeah. out just a little bit. But I'd love oh, to. Fun. I'd love that. I'd love that. So we can talk. But, okay, good. Uh, I think you're outstanding. You're one oh, of my new you. favorite people. <laughs> Feeling right back at you there. Feeling is mutual. Right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, thank and you. Everyone, if there is no wind, Wow. 
Mm. Purchase this book. Mm, thank you. Because and if there's no wings, what's left? Yeah, that's it, right? What's left? So mm. any words, any words you'd like to say before we go to the audience, uh, to me or whatever? Yeah, I, you know what? Keep reading, folks. It's just you know, and if uh, my my book is in my library system here, there's lots of poetry books around, lots of all kinds of books. Just keep reading and talking to people, and there's there's communities of people out there that really want to connect and. Um, I know it sounds kind of corny, but I do believe in uh, that love will win, win over. Eventually, love will win over, right? On the precipice of this election. I'm hoping that. Yeah. So. Fantastic. That's, that's awesome. A great and thank you so much, right. Michael. Gosh, this has been great. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Been <laughs> thank you very much. It has been great. All right. To our listening audience, I want to thank you for tuning in. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right. Good night, mm. everybody. Good night, Margaret. Take care. Good night. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.